Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And we are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great, big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is kitty corner from Sendex and across from Winkies. And we are now able to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. So if you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to see our pictures and some of the things that are going on with EIG, you can go to ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest is Don Mern, and Don has is with Axley, and he has been on our radio show since November 19th of 2007. Wow. Time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> and you've been on, and we've talked about so many different things, different business issues. And as my practice, uh, my personal client base is aging, and as they're business owners, and many of them are thinking, you know, what's my exit strategy, and what do I have to do um, in order to make that happen? Um, you and I were thinking that this is probably a really good conversation to talk about business owners and what that looks like. And I saw a statistic just recently that said more businesses are selling. There are you know, a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on, and a lot of businesses are selling. And so, Don, what does, uh, from your great legal perspective, what does a business owner um, really need to do and how to start thinking about it? Well, Karen, as you and I have talked a lot informally, obviously not on the air, just in dealing with other uh, people's business, first order business, in my mind, is cleaning up the, the corporation's books and agreements. Uh, you brought up with me a number of situations where people did not think ahead with shareholder agreements, and now you're dealing with trying to pull the spaghetti bowl apart <laughs> and figure out um, how you're going to fix things when you have old agreements that don't contemplate uh, new shareholders. So to me, the first thing is to get that corporate book and make sure everything's in order. Uh, if you have minutes of uh, meetings that are old and not repaired, we did a show quite a while ago already mm-hmm. on statutory closed corporations. That's one way to uh, uh, clean it up. And if anybody wants to learn about those, you can go on my website and uh, uh, look under my name. Uh, so it would be com, and you can get an article on uh, uh, switching over to a statutory closed corporation. But just to clean up that book so that it's ready to take the next step um, in uh, organizing the business uh, for transition or sale. And, you know, so many of those business owners <laughs> wear all the hats. And, uh, you know, there seemed to be no time left in the day to put those types of minutes down and to have that that record-keeping that has uh, uh, traceable record-keeping, you know, it's it's in somebody's head. And I think that that's really can be a big problem for people. Well, it can be a, a bit of a nightmare if it's not dealt with before someone passes. Mm-hmm. Usually a sale, if somebody 
puts their business up for sale on the open marketplace, the first thing a business broker or the lawyer will do is say, we got to clean this up because when somebody goes to look at your books, they're going to want to see that you ran your corporation properly and everything's documented. Um, so that's usually the the critical mass point. We'd like to get to it a little bit sooner. Uh, and you hit the nail on the head. Most entrepreneurial business owners are not interested at all in record-keeping or straightening things away because they're making decisions on a day-to-day basis about how to operate their business. And uh, they don't necessarily see the um, need to document it because, as you said, they're wearing all the hats. Um, But I think it's important to to get your book in order because it can save you a lot of time, money, and effort. A good example is when... uh, uh, someone consolidates shares in a, a corporation, so you end up with one owner. Uh, if that isn't documented properly, uh, when you go to sell the business uh, and your corporate book isn't in order, you don't know what shares you had, when they were issued, uh, authorized and issued. Uh, authorized is saying how many shares you can have issued is then how the corporation issues them. And that can have an impact on how the money is split up when a corporation is sold. So. Same. I would I would I would also guess that it could be a trigger for the IRS. That's true. If you didn't document properly right. how shares came in and out, it could be a, a problem. And tax so liability. It, typically and people don't think about that. They just don't <laughs> because they're like someone says I want to, you know, move to the Bahamas and I'm out of the business and I want a half million dollars and they say okay, they never cancel shares, they never document it properly, they just cut a check and then Later on, when they're trying to figure out what the corporate book says or does, they're at a bit of a loss. And um, I've had real messes trying to figure out uh, how shares came to be in the number that are indicated in the corporation's books but are not documented in the minutes or transactional documents of the corporation. Which I think I've seen a couple times where an accountant has said you really would benefit – tax-wise by gifting some of these shares to your kids, and they give shares and they never transition in the book. They never tell about the book, and all of a sudden, all these shares are out there, and nobody is really has an idea of what happened. And particularly, what's happened to me is someone has passed away, and it was like, who owns what? <laughs> yeah, and how did they get them, and when did they get them? And how, you know, it was cr- really crazy. A, a real mess. And you mentioned another uh, time when we were visiting about shareholder agreements on how you've run into situations where shareholder agreements aren't updated when there's either sale or gifting. And and that is something, first of all, a lot of companies I see don't even have a shareholder agreement. It's not something that was on their uh, radar or in their minds when they set up the company because they're just getting started. So they're not thinking about it. And when it comes time then to uh, to start making those kinds of decisions, they're almost either starting from scratch or they're bootstrapping a new situation into an old shareholder agreement that did not contemplate, for instance, um, fractional share ownership by next generation that may or may not be actively engaged in the business. And that raises all sorts of mm-hmm. issues. How do you want these, uh, these let's call them, on this, just for purposes of example, children, okay, so if you have an owner and, and the children are taking over, if they're all employed in the business, is that a prerequisite to share ownership? In other words, if they're fired or leave, what does that do with their shares? Do they continue to be an owner? Do they have to sell? Is there a penalty for selling? That all goes back to uh, talking with an owner about 
what they want to do and why. Mm-hmm. What is your plan? If you're transitioning to the next generation to have them operate, then being employees of the corporation is very, very important. As opposed to you've already transitioned to an independent management team with an outside board of directors and the shares are just producing money and you want the family to continue to enjoy the income from those shares. Well, I think it's also difficult because um, these are book entry shares. They aren't certificate shares, typically. And so nobody's got anything in their hand to say, I actually have this. Everything is written down. Yeah, we like to do physical shares just for that reason, because it helps keep the ledger. Uh, Otherwise, you'll be going through a book and you'll find an old Mm -hmm. share that's not canceled, nothing's happened with it, it's not indicated in the ledger, and you go, where does this belong? Who owned it? Did they cancel it when they were bought out? So it seems like a lot of um, wasted time, but if you keep up with it on a regular basis, and it's not expensive. It's not Mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of clients think if they have to do something with their corporate book that it's going to cost an arm and a leg, but it's actually more costly to recreate um, your book from what happened in the past if that's not properly documented because we had a situation where we had to find somebody to cancel their shares because they're still technically a shareholder in the corporation. What made it what made it worse is the accountant carried that person on the books for about four years after they left and their shares were bought, and then suddenly just took them out <laughs> without explanation. And we were lost. We're like, okay, we asked the accountant, "Why did you do this?" I I, I don't I don't remember. I don't know. It was mm-hmm. many years later. Now we got a mess on our hands. We got to find this gentleman. Luckily, he was still alive. And he said, oh, of course I got bought out. There's no reason I should be an owner. And he signed off on his shares. Wow. What about, you know, we've talked about this in terms of estate planning documents, but how should somebody be taking care of these? I mean, what if there's a fire? What if something happens? What, you know, what is the recourse there? Uh, I like to because uh, the cloud is actually a good device for securing documents now. Uh, I like to have everything scanned in. Mm-hmm. I also like multiple locations with a full um, uh, dossier of all the documents. Um, a lot of people are concerned if you, the lawyer keeps them or the accountant. People have to keep in mind, for instance, if I as a lawyer keeps the corporate book, it's for the client's convenience. I think a lot of clients feel that they're then owned by the law firm or the accounting <laughs> firm. That's the, People have to understand that, is, and I tell people, this is for your convenience if you ever have had enough of me or my firm <laughs> or the people you work with, you just come and say, I would like my corporate book or my files, and they need to be delivered to you. If not, I keep a scanned copy as well because I want to make doggone sure that if I'm not around or the owner's not around, somebody can pick up that book and know exactly who owns what and how it transitioned to that ownership percentage or uh, um amount of shareholders. You know, Don, that is such a a good point because I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with somebody and we've talked about it and their documents aren't in order. So we can't really do the types of estate planning that we want to do. And they'll say, well, I've been working with him or her. And it could be an accountant, could be anybody, an attorney for so long. I just can't imagine leaving and they know everything about me. And it's really hard for people often to make that change and to realize that they maybe need somebody that has more experience than when they started their business and, you know, they were just hoping to make it. Well, that's why an integrated approach like you do where you bring in 
people and go through the entirety of their lives, not just their their finances, but what they're doing with their corporation, the family issues. Uh, you're actually able to better than an, even an attorney or accountant. A lot of times, when you send clients uh, to me, they're already very well educated about what they need and why they need it. So your your global ap- approach is actually helpful in pulling those issues out. I think that people really do. For those that are listening and. They're thinking, oh, this is something that sounds really um, about me and my company or my family. To really sit down and make that decision based on not a friendship, but really based on business. I mean, when you're running a business and this is important, this is important information. And even in terms of advisors, people come and say, oh, I just know that I should be changing, but their personal friend. You know, we do. We get we get hung up on some of that stuff, and it's really not always in our best interest. My guest today is attorney Donald Mern, and he is with the firm Axley. Don has been a good friend for a long time and works with our clients and has done the radio show because we both, and as you can tell just the way he's talking, we both feel that education is so important, and we don't tell our clients what to do. We just try to give them the best information we can can so that they can make the decision. And you know, Don, I really find for myself that when a client is educated and makes that decision to move forward and do whatever it is they're going to do, they I want to say they sort of buy into it. Um, I think when people are told what to do and it isn't really what they want to do, things fall apart and they don't follow through. And I know with your clients, when you help them and educate them on a step-to-step things that they need to do, you make it simple for them to take action. I like to – I feel like my, uh, that I'm the band leader. What <laughs> I really want to do is people know the song they want to sing. I just lead them to that song, so to speak. Most business owners, once these issues are brought to their attention and – you ask them the right questions, they know he or she knows where they want to go. Uh, so I like to give them the menu and say you got to pick from the menu and say, what about this? What about that? Bring up the issues of, uh, who, you know, who's best to run the company? Is there somebody internally? Does it have to be external? How are we going to get there? Once you start asking those questions, uh, they come up with some pretty good answers, as we've seen. My guest again is Don Mern. If you would like to ask him any questions, you can go to dmern at axley.com. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is attorney Don Mern. He is with Axley, and he has been in the business for a long time, because I've known you a long time. You've been there long before that. But I love working with clients who own their own businesses. I think part of it is because I own my own business. I have, you know, for quite some time, and there, it's just such a absolutely beautiful thing to have birthed this baby, you know. Um, One of the things that I know I've told you when Julie took over the company is, ah, I hate to see someone change my baby's clothes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because it's my baby. And, Don, you've been involved with Julie and I um, for such a long time, and as you know, she's done a fantastic job of um, changing this baby's clothes and giving it a whole new wardrobe and yet maintaining the style. 
And didn't we have a lot of lunches where we talked yes. about those issues, what was important to you, what was important to her, how that transition would take place way before we got <coughs> to any kind of paperwork or, you know, it was really about the uh, what you both thought about the business and you being very comfortable with making that transition mm-hmm. because you were concerned about, okay, these are my clients. Mm-hmm. How are they going to be taken care of? How does Julie look at things globally? Is it the same way as me? Even if the fact that you trained her and you work with her, now she's going to be in charge. And that's mm-hmm. a different thing. And I think wondering what's it going to look like in 20 years. And will the same values and the same reason for starting the business be maintained? And I think one of something that I learned in what you were alluding to in the last segment is that it's not like deciding you're going to sell your house and you put it up for sale and you get a realtor and you move on. Selling a business is so much different than that. And it may be and make more sense for you to plan five years in advance because so many things have to happen around it. And so I do want to talk about that. But then I also want to just sort of set that stage that if you aren't thinking about it and you pass away, you leave an absolute mess for your spouse or for whoever is to run your business if you want your business running. So I don't know if I would guess, Don, when I look back, I think I would have benefited by thinking about selling my business right from the beginning, even though I had no intention of selling it, that I would have thought about it. Because selling the business could be almost thought of the same as if I die. That's a good point. And I think too many business owners don't run their books with that thought in mind, that what is the, what would this look like in a sale? Um, and I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't make smart tax decisions about how they utilize the income from the business, but you made a point about looking ahead on sale. Uh, one of the things you need to look, look at if you're selling to outside third parties is what does my income look like? What does my net and gross income look like? What is my EBITDA? Because a lot of times when it's your own business and you move money the way you want to, uh, EBITDA can be necessarily too high. You may be supporting family members who are not super efficient, but they're family members and you're going to be employing them anyway. You might and, be, and they have large salaries often. Very much so. Or you may be taking out vehicles or mm-hmm. other things um, that uh, a business owner if, who is just running it for profit would not do. And you got to look at those issues very closely because that, that affects rate of return and rate of return affects price. So I think getting... Looking ahead, the first time you've made that comment that I've heard, and I think it's just a great sentiment, I should have looked at selling my business when I started it. That That is a great way to look at it. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to <laughs> use that because I like it that much. Um, to have that mindset early on, what will my business look like to a third party if they were buying it? Even if you have no thought in mind of selling it, it will help you make better business decisions. Mm-hmm. It will keep your corporate book and your shareholder agreements and your underlying employment agreements and other things in order because you're going to want those to be in good shape if someone comes along and uh, wants to buy your business. And as you mentioned in an earlier segment, there's a lot of buying and selling going on right now um, of businesses, uh, I think because money is cheap, uh, but also because people are looking for you know financial outlets that aren't just um, – uh, CDs or treasuries because you're not getting a big rate of return on those. And you have to be very well aware of what if somebody comes up out of the blue. I've had that happen to clients where just out of the blue somebody will go, I want to buy your business. 
and come up with a number that is higher than they thought they'd ever get, and they go, I'm selling. Well, now, if you haven't kept up with all these things, um, the paperwork to do that, the due diligence that the buyer has to do becomes that much more difficult. Mm -hmm. And the other issue, Don, is if you die. I mean, it is... It, it's a nightmare to I, – I often think of clients who who don't want to do a will because they're afraid they're going to die. I mean, it's almost like if you do it, <laughs> it means something. But but the reality is, is and, and we've talked about that a lot, but what happens when an owner is killed in a car accident and, and, and or a plane crash or, you know, it happens – and all of a sudden, you know, it's on the news that somebody has passed away and there there's um, suppliers and there's employees and there's family. And, I mean, just something has to happen. And without this documentation, without some type of planning, um, everything you've worked for could just be gone. Particularly where most, as you and I have seen, most of these uh, closely held businesses or individual business owners have most of their wealth tied up and their net worth tied up in their business, but it's illiquid. Mm -hmm. It's not like owning a share of stock where I can call you and say, you know, Karen, please sell this and buy that for me, and you have a readily available marketplace to do it. It's not the same with a closely held business. You have to find the right buyer who's willing to pay, and you have to have continuity of leadership. And if the main person who's running everything and doing everything is suddenly gone, that can be a nightmare. That's why I usually see people being underinsured. Another topic you and I have discussed informally is about insurance because one of the first questions you and I ask, what does your life insurance look like? Because if you have enough life insurance for a uh, key individual, you can go out and hire somebody to run the business, find them, Hire them, run the business till you can liquidate it, or you can provide the uh, the liquidity necessary to uh, keep the business running, even if you don't have to hire outside people until such time as you can sell it. Uh, maybe even put the business in a situation where it's debt free, because again, that those liquidation issues. Now we do have an eleven plus million dollar estate tax right now. Um, but that's only through twenty twenty five and that's going to be revisited. Who knows what's going to happen mm -hmm. at that point? So uh, right now we have some temporary relief, but I just don't like to uh, get rid of insurance. And I, and I have to say I'm not a huge fan of insurance. I call insurance an unnecessary evil. Mm -hmm. You need life insurance, <laughs> not because it's the greatest investment vehicle in the world. It insures a risk, the risk that you're going to pass away, and you need liquidity immediately up front uh, to make sure that the business goes forward and isn't um, – for instance, liquidated in a down economy, mm -hmm. right? Right. Or how it's also held. Is it held in an insurance trust? I mean, what types ta taxation? You know, Don, um, it's so funny that you're talking about this because I will share a personal story, and I think it's okay, but I went to you a long time ago, and I said, you know, what What would this look like if I wanted to sell my company? And I wasn't really – I was just trying to get an idea of what that would look like. And I remember you looked at everything and you said, I don't know if you could sell your company. And I said, what do you mean? You know, I've got assets under management. I have this going on. And you said, you're the only hunter. You're the only hunter. And at that point – and, I mean, this is a long time ago – 
if you remember, I was the one, I'd sit down with clients and I always had someone, it would be Julie, it would be any of the advisors, and I'd say, okay, um, Julie's going to work with you, and then I would sort of pass that off and work with her with it, but she did the work and met with the clients as well, and then I'd go get more business, and I was the only one bringing in business. I remember. And, um, and I loved it. I mean, I love that, and but I remember you said that that won't work if if you ever want to sell, you have to teach other people to fish. You can't do it yourself. And when I was starting out my business, I was the one with that expert. I just did it because that was how I was building it, without even realizing that in many ways I was penalizing other people around me for a whole bunch of reasons. Number number one. If I did ever would sell the business and they weren't hunters, they probably wouldn't be kept. A business, can't, a business can't grow if the hunter leaves or the hunter's dead. And the other thing is they were missing the satisfaction of closing that business. And, yeah, and, and and to keep them encouraged and wanting to grow. And so I think as a as a starting my own business you lose sight of it because you just want to grow your business. You want to keep everybody safe, and you tend to do everything. And it's really important to start to look at what is your job really and how can you help the people around you be successful and let them have the same joy of having the success of trying and doing different things. And you helped me really work on that to understand. And I remember when I talked to Julie about buying the company and she said well you know or if I would pass away or running the company and she said oh you take so much more risk than I'd ever take and and I realized that um, I hadn't explained to her what risk was and when you're doing something for the greater good and when you know it that it's for the greater good it doesn't feel like risk it only feels like risk if it isn't solid Yes, if it doesn't, if it hasn't been thought through, it hasn't been thought through. Yeah, and so I think those are the kinds of conversations that business owners need to have with their attorney, with spouses, or whoever they think is going to run the company, or their kids. We think we know, but guess what? We don't really always know. No, and you make a good point in terms of business owners, and you know, I always tell people the car doesn't run without the engine. So you better have a backup plan. NASA always believed in uh, uh, redundancy, always a backup system, and you need that in a business. What am I doing? How can I empower other people? How do I build a management team so that you build consistency, wealth, and value within your company? Unfortunately, we see a lot of people who are hard drivers. They can't let go. Can't let go. No. Nobody can nobody can dress my baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but the other the other thing that is um that's important is that when when people are talking to their kids and asking those questions, you may get answers that you didn't expect and you can you can deal with them in you know, in advance. But I think a lot of times we're afraid to ask the questions. Yeah, because I think people are they don't want to make someone else feel uncomfortable, but the mm-hmm. point is you need to feel – a business owner needs to feel uncomfortable to start the process of thinking outside of just the day-to-day operations and where is my life going, where is the company's life going, the people within the company, how do they fit in, uh, what brings the best value to the company. Uh, we've talked before on other shows about how well, you identify people who might be purchasers of the company within your own mm-hmm. employee base as it sits. 
But you can't really do anything until you become educated and until you open up the conversation and you start talking about it. Um, as long as it stays in your head, nothing changes. My guest today is Attorney Donald Mern. As you can tell, we've worked a lot together. <laughs> And we love what we do. Um, if you would like to reach out to um, Don, you can do that at 262-409-2277. And remember that you can go to ellenbecker.com. You can hit on radio shows and a Money Sense, and this show will be there. If you have someone that you'd like to play it for or forward it to, it will be there. And with that, we'll be right back. <music> Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you would like to know more about us, you can go to 262-691-3200. My guest today is attorney Donald Mern, and he is with Axley Firm. And uh, we are talking about business. And I know that one of the cornerstones of what we do here is we make sure that every one of our clients has an up-to-date estate plan, has an estate plan. Um, Some of our clients own businesses. Some of them are individuals. And I think a part, Don, that you and I were talking about during the break is that even though we go ahead and we make sure that they have their state plan documents, for those who are business owners, there's another step that has to be looked at, and that is how they are married into the shareholder agreement and into that business. Yeah, and the big thing that I've, I've seen uh, a number of times lately has been that the trust or will <coughs> provisions uh, of a shareholder do not coordinate uh, with the shareholder agreement. So you have trust provisions that aren't lined up with shareholder agreements, either uh, because on death there's a sale or on death there is a system to uh, to run the corporation that doesn't line up with the trust terms. Um, so you need to coordinate those two and say, does the trust properly reflect what the shareholder agreement says and does about uh, death and buyout or transition of the business? The other big issue is who is your trustee or personal representative? You need to have somebody, if you suddenly would pass away, who is the person who's going to be running the business? It's going to be your personal representative if you have a will or your trustee if you have a revocable trust. And I think you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing is most people are going to trust, even though, the uh, as we mentioned, the estate tax is much higher now, so there's fewer people who run into a federal estate tax issue. A trust is... Um, much more private, Mm -hmm. much more efficient, and allows you to pick an out-of-state person, which you can't as a personal representative. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody that you know can run that business, um, you can name them as trustee even if they're not in-state. Personal representative has to be in the state of Wisconsin as a resident. And sometimes your kids are not those people that have the sophistication to run the business. And, And I tell business owners, you need to be honest with yourself and with your family uh, rather than just name the oldest, which is often a knee-jerk way of doing it. If the oldest is not capable or if your children aren't capable, you're not doing them a service. Or your spouse. Or your spouse. Many times a spouse. You're not doing anybody a service by putting somebody in a position to run the business who is incapable of making good business decisions or and, and husbanding the business through uh, the death of the of the 
main shareholder. Don, can somebody have a trustee of their personal assets and nominate someone else for the business portion? Absolutely. I, I do that on a regular basis, particularly with uh, people who own multiple businesses. They may pick one person to run one business, another person to run another business, and the third person to uh, handle all the personal holdings, say stock, bonds, cash assets. Mm-hmm. A lot of times co-trustees, they say, you know, my spouse, if he or she survives me, I would like them to be co-trustee with another person who has the ability to run the business. Um, so we do that on a regular basis, and I have that conversation on a regular basis because typically um, estate planning documents are shoved in the background. Uh, that whole thing of that you mentioned earlier about dying, and say, I always tell people it's not it's not if it's when. <laughs> so we have to be understanding that you have to make sure that you take care of the people that you're leaving, not only family but employees too, because most. I mean, you always talk about your employees and how mm-hmm. you want to take care of them, and this, they're they're an important part of the business. I haven't met anybody who's built a business who doesn't feel very strongly about mm-hmm. their employees and taking care of them. And doing your estate planning documents takes care of that. Well, as I always think of estate planning isn't all about you. It's about giving a gift to your beneficiaries of peace and consciousness. And you and I have talked about that meeting, and all of a sudden someone is called to a meeting, and the attorney calls, and they get to the meeting, and the client is looking down at the big conference table, and he realizes that this is the first meeting after his death. And he or she looks at it, and it's total chaos. Or you could say they look at it and say, wasn't dad or mom great? Look at all the planning she did. And there's a celebration of life rather than someone pulling out their hair and wondering what their next step is going to be. And I always try to sit down and even in my own life and look and say, what if something happened tomorrow? Worst case scenario. Hard to plan for six months or a year or something from now. But just to know that if something happens tomorrow, this is what would happen because you can change it. Absolutely. I even have people go a step further and actually do, and I do every year, I do a letter to my wife and kids saying, this is what you should do if I die this year. I lay out everything that's current in terms of what my personal business, mm-hmm. where all the assets are, how they're being held, what they sh- and how they should handle it. So that they have a roadmap. So they're not wondering where is everything, what should we do with this, how should we handle it. Um, as your estate, some people are blessed with a very simple <laughs> estate mm-hmm. that's just cash, tax, bonds. And if you have real estate, if you have businesses, it, you need to be aware of the fact that people need to be educated about what to do if you're not around. Particularly if you're the, you know, the big decision maker and everybody relies on you. So my guest today is Attorney Don Mern, and I'm getting the note here that I've got to end this segment. We could talk for hours, and um, but if anyone has a question, you can um, also just go to ellenbecker.com. The show will be on there so that you can listen to it again or share it with someone else, or feel free to give our office a call for Don's information, 262 3200. And with that, we will be right back.
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is attorney Don Mern, and he is with the Axley Company, and you can call him at 262-409-2277, or you can go to dmern at axley.com. Don, let's finish up our last short segment here um, with a couple things that people could think about um, talking in a family meeting, and we do family meetings at our office all the time, I would say um, as a first thing of family communication, what about a question that would be like, do you see this company in the future as a family inheritance or as an individual inheritance? How does that play a role? I think people need to decide whether or not they're going to be transferring the business as a, as a working entity or they're going to be trans- having the business sold and or liquidated on sale and just to become money for the family. And that really requires them to look at who's in the business and out of the business, family members, who is capable of running the business or not running the business. Because I remember you bring up an incident a while ago where a family member didn't realize that the people running the business wanted out and they didn't get it. I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. I had a situation where dad thought that the three children were going to operate this business forever and a big meeting about how it was going to happen. And they looked at dad and said, we're out. As soon as you're gone, the only reason we're sticking around is for you. And he was a little bit shocked. <laughs> but then it started about, is it, what is it? Is it the business going completely as a, as a going entity or is it going to be liquidated and just become money that's going to be an inheritance for the family members to do what they want. I remember we just had a meeting um, with another family and I looked at the father and the children were sitting there and I said, how will you feel if they decide to sell the business? And he went on, well, they're not going to do that. And then finally he came around and said, well, I suppose if nobody wants to run it, I'd rather it be sold than go to dirt, you know, and, and be destroyed. But his first comment was, well, nobody would want to sell it. And that's not always the case. No, it really isn't. What about if we have one question on business con- continuation planning? What would a plan to transfer leadership look like to you? You know, that is a great question to ask a business owner because they very rarely, just like you said, I don't like somebody changing my baby's clothes. That's how <laughs> owners are. So they don't think about it. And that helps in my mind, them focus and and takes them in one of two directions. One is these are the people within my organization and or family that have the capability to run this business and I really have to start grooming because I usually will ask that question. If you're not around or maybe you don't want to be around, you want to go to Florida and play some golf. Uh, You'd like to have a little time, you know, to do the things that you want to do while you're you're still young enough to do them. Who runs that day-to-day business and, and how do you put them in that position? That forces them to think that way. The other thing it may lead to is a realization that there isn't anybody there at at the time that can be groomed, and it starts in a process of looking outside the business to maybe bring in, I just had a business that brought in an outside uh, president, CEO, and outside board of directors. Uh, His attitude was, you know, this business runs great. If I can find a team that will run it for me, I can just keep getting dividends, act as a consultant, and and, uh, continue the value going forward until such time as, I want to sell it mm-hmm. or I'm gone and my family wants to sell it. 
And, you know, Don, that is a a great question, not only to ask the owner of the company, but to ask the family members or the team, how do you see this transition working? And I've been surprised at how rarely everybody sees it the same. Yeah, and and they don't talk. If you don't ask the question, the conversation never starts. Yeah. Oh, another question. Um, How do you feel about the inheritance your children and grandchildren will receive? Boy, and that's one. (laughs) And that's one that when you when you get into that area, it's always amazing to me where there's usually a big lull in the conversation because that is something that people don't think about at all. Mm -hmm. And you, you really need to boil it down. Who who are the natural bounty of my affection? How do they handle money? What would be best for them? Because there are not, again, not every uh, child, spouse, or, or children, or grandchildren has the same attitude about money. You may have an artist. An artist is not going to husband money. You may want to put that in trust for that uh, particular grandchild so that uh, they don't have to worry about it. Um, it also forces them to maybe open the conversation up with family members, particularly the ones outside the business, as to what their expectations are. It can be an uncomfortable conver- conversation, but one that uh, needs to be had. And uh, you are particularly good at going to that area and forcing that conversation to take place because you recognize that's how you start good planning, is mm-hmm. knowing what people want. You can't understand or do that in a vacuum. Well, the other thing that is is important is that, at least I feel this way, I think everyone I've ever met, is that we don't want money to destroy our children or certainly our grandchildren. And the more money you have, the more difficult it is to make sure that that doesn't happen. The most wonderful things that I can think of through my business were the things where they were really tough. And and I had to make tough decisions. And I don't want to take that away from my three kids. And I don't want to take it away from my seven grandchildren or any great grandchildren I have just because it's easy. Remember that old book, The Millionaire Next Door? Yes. One of my favorites. Very old book, but it really talked about how you can, how they f- uh, found that next generation wealth can really ruin children. Take, it saps mm-hmm. them of their individuality. It saps them of their drive. And it saps them of their opportunity to achieve on their own, mm-hmm. which is what creates self-worth. And who would ever really in- intentionally want to do that. But yet, in a way, if you don't do your planning, and if you aren't thinking about it, you are, in a way, intentionally creating an impact that none of us would want. We've worked so hard, we wouldn't want that. And it's an impact of ignorance, not of uh, desire. In Mm -hmm. other words, it's because they haven't thought about it that they haven't engaged in it. Well, now she's really shaking and telling me we've got to go. We have a whole list of family questions. That's only one of about 15 or 20 that Don uses and I use. If you would like to contact us to do a family meeting, please do so. 262-691-3200. This is a great conversation. If you'd like to share it, go to ellenbecker.com. Go on radio shows and our show will be there. And my guest today is Attorney Don Mern. You can reach him at Axley or just give me a call. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye.